You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 216. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you again this week. Aaron is going to kick off our show by answering a Your Stock, Our Take question on a basically pre-revenue business, which has developed a new generation power control electronics that could help change the way the world optimizes energy by expanding the capabilities of electric motors and batteries. Aaron will break down the company. The company's name is XRO Technology, symbol EXRO on the TSX. Its current fundamentals, the growth prospects ahead of the release of our upcoming every electrical and EV related stock in North America report. We're looking at every EV and electrical related stock in North America. I will click quickly compare an investment in XRO versus our choice to recommend uh, to our clients to invest in Hammond Power, symbol HPS.A, to benefit from the electric boom. I will also answer a listener question on Quarter Hill Inc., symbol QTRH on the TSX, which operates in the ITS or Intelligent Transportation System industry and had historically operated in the IP or intellectual property business. This historically profitable but lumpy segment of the business was just sold. A listener asked whether the sale finally makes this business, which we have recommended in the past against investing in as finely investable. Now, Brennan compares two primary natural gas producers, Birchcliff Energy, symbol BIR on the TSX, and Pinecliff, P-N-E on the TSX, to identify which offers better value and growth. Finally, Brett answers a question on Dollar General, symbol D-G on the New York Stock Exchange, a discount retailer providing various merchandise products across the U.S., The stock sold off over the past week after the business released relatively weak Q1 earnings and more importantly downgraded its guidance for the fiscal year. Brett will let you know his thoughts on the subject. All right, let's move to the show. Let's get to it. My co-host Aaron Dunn and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Welcome, welcome. Did you have a good Father's Day, Aaron? It was great, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Did you get pampered or did you? Well, I don't know if I got pampered, <laughs> but uh, you I had, got, you I had a pedicure. Uh... That made nice cards for me in school. So that was that's cool. nice. Yeah. And it's also an excuse for me to. They were know, forced to make them. You pull know out that, the right? Father's Day card anytime anybody asked me to do anything. And yeah. Oh, oh, I can't oh, believe you'd ask me to do that on Father's Day. <laughs> yeah. Right? Your Father's Day it's week. That's, that's the best part. Father's Day and my birthday, those are the only only two days of the year I can do that. We actually here, we had my dad over here and uh, mm-hmm. my mom and uh, Candace's mom. And we uh, 
did like a barbecue. I had, I got tenderloins and we did actually like a chimichurri sauce, chimichurri sauce on it. It was, it was pretty awesome. And I actually got the cook on the steaks right this time. So wow. it was pretty cool. Slice them. We use like uh, chopsticks to eat them. It was pretty fancy. It's pretty Do cool. Do you use a thermometer when you cook your steaks? I did stick the thermometer in there, all like seven or eight of the steaks, got it to at least 140. Uh, now there's going to be somebody on here who's a, a backyard cook. Oh, 140 is too high or, or something. But, you know, that's what we had him to. Boom, took them off. <laughs> Let him rest. At 137.2. You can't do wrong with that. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Anyways, but yeah, we took them off, let them rest for five minutes, sliced them. You're more of a 135 guy. Yeah, I that's okay. That. Yeah, wow. As long as you're using a... Lot a, of, a thermometer though no the well these are you know what in saskatoon isn't it brennan what's that sorry the barbecue is pretty big in saskatoon oh yeah it? it's like texas yeah you bet well i would do 130 to 135 like i would do that range but there's a couple that won't eat it unless it's more medium like i'd go medium rare so you gotta totally. you gotta up it a little for them up yeah. the ante yeah anyways it's a big grill so it gets hot fast so you got it up to like 500 yeah. on there it was good i just like that you do use a anyways. thermometer because a lot of people are like no no i got it down to a science with you know using the the palm oh it's so simple it's like what well, the right juices will come out if you penetrate the steak what don't do, do that well, what no, do I'm real like, chefs use you know they're <laughs> you're not gonna go to a restaurant they just put their hand on it you know that <laughs> they're but right nice. on the grill there's so many calories know any matter. real chefs uh i do actually um, one of my friends yes devro his name is okay. yeah what does he use uh a thermometer yeah i think okay. gordon ramsay too you know can't say i know him personally but you know i think he's wow. a thermometer gordon guy. ramsay's not a real chef come on <laughs> let's be honest oh god no don't say that i'd say uh candace is a real chef that's what i think around here yep. actually she's an awesome cook so it's good mm-hmm. anyways all right should we move into the show what do you think well we're uh, we do have an upcoming report that we're working on right now that we think is very interesting one to let our clients, listeners know we're working on looking at every uh, electrical component, uh, EV, kind of looking at the entire electrification, anything that is powering the electrification of North America, the world, actually. Um, and uh, a- a- any publicly traded company, we had about 400 that we're looking through right now, narrow it down to specifically companies that we believe have uh, potential over the next five to 10 years to benefit from that market. We've already had like extreme success in that market with uh, one company that we've had on our radar and recommendation list for a number of years. And uh, we're, we're looking to add some in that sector because we see some, uh, you know, a long-term growth prospects, whether you believe in electrification, EVs or anything like that is really uh, outside the point here. Uh, there's a ton of investment there. There's a ton of money in that sector. And uh, you know, we can make money in it over a long-term trend. We're going to find companies that we can do that with. So uh, over the next month, that should be released. We just released a special report where we looked at every stock in the U.S., roughly 3,000 with a market cap of under $2 billion, made two new recommendations. Uh, one of the companies is already doing quite well uh, from that recommendation. But again, we're not looking at what it does over the next week. We're looking at what it'll do three to five years from now. So and monitoring six to eight stocks from that report that just went out that uh, we could add to coverage over the next year. So Aaron, you wanted to talk, you got a question on a company kind of, we don't often look at pre-revenue companies, but you know, it kind of dovetailed into the report we're doing because this report does include some companies in there. Uh, not that we're recommending because they wouldn't fit our criteria, but 
just highlighting some companies that are uh, on the cutting edge of the electrification space, potentially uh, battery companies or providing components to uh, electrification. So that's really what uh, Aaron's going to talk about here because it, the question kind of played into that. And then I'm going to kind of talk about um, how one of our recommendations in this sector, kind of comparing this company to you know another company that we uh, actually recommended that has uh, exposure to electrification. So Aaron, I'll let you take it away. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this was, as Ryan said, this is a question that we received from a, a listener uh, to the show. Uh, Neil is the listener's name. He asked about XRO Technologies, uh, mentioned that they're Calgary-based, EV space, coil drive, various companies under NDA, strong board, and partnership with Linamar. He wants to know our take on the company. So I had a look here, and I will give you our take on it. So uh, XRO Technologies, they're, they're Canadian listed. They are potentially looking at going to the NASDAQ. It's about a $2 stock right now, $372 million market cap. They IPO'd originally in September of 2020. Uh, right now, just under 170 million shares out. And essentially what they do is they 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 describe themselves as a company that's part of the uh, electrification and energy transition Um of the of, of the world, but essentially they they have two technologies, uh, two products which are in pre-commercial stage, potentially just entering commercial stage. One is what they call a coil driver traction inverter. Uh, the second is a cell driver energy storage. So the coil driver traction inverter, um, this is essentially something that will go onto a, an electric vehicle, an EV. It it improves the performance. Uh, the range of the EV, and of course, the cell driver energy storage. Uh, this is all about um, storing energy. So um, certainly two technologies potentially that play well into the electrification and EV themes. Now, there's a few things that I need to, to mention before I really get into this and, and talk about the financials. Ryan told you about the electrification report that we're working on right now. Um, so this is a report that essentially covers all companies listed on North American exchanges that are in some way supporting the electrification theme. So this might be renewable energy, it might be EV, it might be battery technology, um, but even uh, electrical production, because of course the grid will need to, uh, there'll need to be investments in the electrical grid as um, more power transitions potentially from fossil fuels um, to other sources. Um, but if you look, just we're looking specifically right now at XRO. This is, a, this is a very complicated technology, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert in this technology specifically, and I know everything about it. Uh, really, as, as an analyst, I cover a multitude of different industries, and you can't be an expert in, in every industry. So if you go to XRO's website, it's a very pretty website. They've got lots of nice graphics and video. Um, they have a fairly extensive, extensive corporate presentation that talks a lot about their technology the potential, what their plans are, um, their what they believe their total addressable market is, uh, but it's as I said, it is a very it is very complicated technology to understand, um, and to really get into the potential of it, fully understanding the the use cases and the competitive landscape. More importantly, that is that is well beyond the scope of what I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to essentially describe how we would approach a company like XRO. Um, so first of all, um, 
I like the idea of potentially transformative technologies, but the first thing that I have to highlight about Xro is that financially, the company really doesn't have anything right now. So if you look at the company's recent quarterly results, they have about 300,000 in revenue. They lost about uh, just under $9 million um, net loss for the quarter. And if you look at the company's uh, full year financial results from, from 2022, uh, revenue of about 2.2 million, and they lost about 40 million dollars for the year. So this is a company with what we would describe as minimal revenue, um, just coming out of pre-revenue. But really, for all effective purposes, this is this is almost no revenue right now. Um, with their loss in 2022, uh, research and development expense was about nine million, uh, and then about 24 to 25 million of payroll consulting and SG&A expense. Right. So financially, this is a company that we would still consider to be highly speculative. Uh, a lot of the times when I look at a company like this, I won't even go to the next phase because they really haven't proved a, a business model yet. They really haven't proved the commercial viability of the technology or the product that they're offering. But in this case, I, I think that we're going to go a little bit beyond that because there are a couple of things about this company that I do think make it interesting. Um, one of the things I will note is that from a balance sheet perspective, their balance sheet does not look like it's very leveraged. They actually have some net cash, so that's a good thing. Um, but just going on to operations here, um, they they are they have stated that they they plan to start production in Q3 of 2023 um, uh, with a a Calgary-based manufacturing facility that has a capacity of up to 100,000 coil drivers. Right, so Q through 2023, this is basically now. So they're looking at the current quarter. Um, I did not see an announcement that production has already commenced. Uh, it may have, and they may report that at the end of the quarter. Right now, I'm uncertain of that right now. But at the very, at the very least, um, this is a situation where we should start to see the commercial viability of their technology over the next several quarters here. If they're starting production right now, um, we will get an update likely on this. Uh, at the end of Q3, when the Q3 report comes out, um, likely the first quarter production is going to be fairly minimal. But what we would want to see and what we would want to look for is that production is starting to ramp up. And as they're producing, um, they're, they're entering into that commercial phase. You're starting to then get some feedback on what the market reception to their technology is. Now, another thing that I found interesting about the company was... Uh, a deal that they signed with Linamar, which is a, a major auto parts manufacturing company. Um, they announced this in May of this year. And essentially, this is an agreement with Linamar um, to produce and commercialize their integrated electric beam axle product. Um, so this, this agreement is set for an initial five-year term. I have some excerpts from the company's press release on this. Uh, it is subject to successful continu continual continued testing and validation by Linamar um, and product samples are expected to be delivered in, in or were delivered in Q4 of 2022 rather. So the idea here is that the company is targeting um, to build up to 25,000 units per year uh, for Linamar per annum by 2027. So this potentially could be a very significant deal um, for XRO. And again, this is a situation where uh, According to this agreement, um, this will essentially begin in Q4 of 2023. So this is a situation where we should start to see 
um, the benefits, if there are going to be any benefits of this agreement, perhaps not in the next one or two quarters, but certainly over the next three, four, five quarters, you start to get some some feedback on, on what's actually happening with the business. So I'm going to go back to my original statement on the company. Financially, this is still a highly speculative business. They still have a lot to prove. There's still a lot that is unknown. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna analyze the commercial viability of the technology because that is just simply unknown right now. I'm not an expert in the field. Even if you are an expert in the field, even if you're a world-renowned expert in the field, it's still a very complicated and problematic endeavor to analyze and predict the commercial viability of a of a complicated technology until it is actually commercialized. So we would consider XRO to be very speculative. This is not something that we would invest in right now. We would not consider it uh, an investment on a financial basis. Uh, what, what I can say, again, I will repeat that the commercial and financial potential of this company should be evident over the next several quarters, maybe you know, certainly over the next three, four or five quarters. So this is something that investors, if they're interested in, and even us as well, we can watch closely. Right now, all we would do is watch, but there are a few, few things that we would wanna see from this company at a very, very, very minimum before we would consider it investable for us. One, we want to see um, that based on their their the the deadline that they had made about production in Q3 of this year, we want to see that that commercial production has commenced. Um, we also want to see a signal that their deliveries to uh, Linamar are ramping up. So one thing that's important to note about their, their agreement with Linamar is that there is no there is no guaranteed um, purchase of, of equipment or product from XRO. It's still subject to testing. It's still subject um, to other variables that Linamar has to confirm. So we want to see not just those initial deliveries happen, but also we want to see over a couple of quarters that um, that the results that Linamar is getting from from this technology um, encourage them to ramp up. Those deliveries, maybe not even necessarily to the full twenty five thousand per year by twenty twenty seven. That's a several year time horizon, as well. of course that's going to take some time to see that. But just quarter over quarter, we want to see that those deliveries are increasing. We want to get some feedback from Linamar potentially. Um, but then we also want to see indications that 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 this contract has the potential to be profitable. That the company signs other contracts uh, with other companies as well. Um, indications that the margins are meaningful um, and that they can actually drive some net profit to the bottom line. So right now, this is one of the of the unknowns. They may be able to begin selling their product, but we know absolutely nothing about the margin profile um, or how profitable it's going to be on the, on the bottom line. In fact, very few financial details were actually provided with respect to the agreement that they have with Linamar. You can kind of piece some together, but there's a lot of uncertainties there. Um, Looking at the technology, especially if you're reading the company's presentation um, or looking at it from the perspective of the company, it certainly seems like there's a lot of potential there and there very well may be. And that's why I would be interested in watching closely. If there is potential there, then we should start to see that in, in the financial performance. Um, that is really the test. That is the validation of the business model. Now, you can do research on the company and the technology beforehand. And I have looked as well to see what type of third-party research is out there uh, in any industry journals or um, any other research provided by universities. I was not able to find anything myself. D 
does not mean that there is not something out there. Um, if anybody does know of this and they want to post a comment um, on, on our YouTube or send us a message, I will certainly take another look. But right now, you know, you basically have a pre-commercial product potentially about to be commercialized. So let's see what that commercialization looks like. And then we can actually make uh, an educated investment decision. If on the other hand, somebody wants to speculate beforehand um, and buy some shares, you know, you can certainly do that. Just understand there are still a lot of uncertainties in this company. Any purchase would just still be a speculation at this point. Uh, and we would, we would say, keep, keep those purchases at a minimum in terms of allocation in your portfolio at this time. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good summary on the business. I wanted to flip it around to the way we look at businesses because XRO was is a company that we've been asked on numerous times. We do a weekly chat session where you know our clients log in, ask us questions on any stock in North America. It has a, a promising potential product or products that could be used in this electrification boom that we're talking about and we have talked about with other recommendations in our portfolio. Now, I would juxtapose that with Hammond Power. Um, again, um, promising technology for XRO, uh, but we decided to invest in Hammond Power because um, it, ha it has a differing profile. Uh, it can also benefit from this electrification movement, the electrification boom. Um, but Hammond had an established product, was already selling it uh, with a strong balance sheet, uh, reasonable growth, which, and again, can take advantage of the electrification boom. Uh, if you, we re-recommended Hammond Power at the start of 2020. It was earnings positive. It traded at low valuations. And we looked for a five to 10 year growth path potentially ahead of the business. At that time, uh, electrification wasn't an absolute certainty but it had been coming to the forefront of conversation. Now, XRO at that time, for example, XRO at the start of 2020 was trading around 420 in that range. Uh, so what has it done since that period of time? Again, promising technology, but it's down 46%. Uh, the NASDAQ composite itself is up 47% over that period. Hammond Power, which traded at low valuations, can benefit from the uh, the upcoming and potential, and what we've already seen, electrification boom. Well, it was trading at 760. It's trading at about 4650 today. So that's up 509% over that same period. So you got all of the speculative upside that you want in these smaller businesses that can uh, have exposure to a high growth, growth theme, but you got it with far less risk and you've got more upside. So that is typically what we're looking for is less risk with the same type of upside that you might want to look for in these more speculative companies. So that's what we're left with. Now, you look at the two businesses today from 2022 at the start or 2020 to the start where we are halfway through 2023. What do you have? Well, you still have Hammond Power with a growing business trades at under 10 times earnings, low relative valuations with still that growth path ahead of us over the next three to five to 10 years through the electrification boom. Uh, but you go back to XRO, well, it's almost been cut in half in terms of share price over that time, but you're still looking at a business with just potential in front of you. You still don't have the sales. Maybe they're starting to come online now, 
But you know, if I had to buy one between the two, even after you've seen one go up 500% over that period, uh, you'd still more look at Hammond Power because of the you know how it fits our criteria in terms of profitability and still has upside to that uh, the to the theme that you're trying to play into. So hopefully that gives listeners a good idea of when we're looking at investment potential companies that we can look at for uh, investing in and recommending to our clients. That is kind of the math that we're doing and uh, the thesis behind why we invest in these this company Hammond Power three four years ago versus looking at Xro. So any further comments on that? Makes sense? Okay, well, we're going to move on. I, I've got a question on Quarter Hill. Uh, it's a company we've talked about here in the past. It says, does Quarter Hill warrant an investment after selling its IP or patent troll division and focusing on the ITS segment? So what is Quarter Hill? The symbol is QTRH on the TSX. Trades at about $1.26, $145 million market cap. They operate in the ITS or intelligent transportation system market and have historically operated in the IP or intellectual property industry. This is, is a historically profitable area of the business, but it's lumpy. Uh, and this area was just sold. So the company is now a pure play intelligent transportation system business. And VA, its ETC and IRD subsidiaries provides tolling and commercial vehicle weighing solutions to government agencies. So the event here that is in, in the question is Quarter Hill. They sold a 90% uh, stake in their IP business, which was called Wyland, for gross proceeds of up to, and that's key, just up to $71.4 million. That's $48 million in cash, $8 million in an earnout, and $15 million in an unsecured promissory note. Uh, both the earnout and the promissory note are subject to Wyland hitting revenue milestones. Let's look at the current fundamentals. Well, the last year includes significant uh, YLAN revenues, per particularly the Q1 of last year's, and it has poor margin performance from the ITS segment, looking at the current numbers, produces kind of a muddy or kind of a terrible picture on the business, really. So Q1, we'll look at those really quickly. Revenues dropped to $44 million from $165 million in the comparative period. This was due to the size of the licensing agreements completed in Q1 2022. Consolidated adjusted EBITDA was a loss of 6.9 million compared to a gain of 79.1 million in the comparative period. Uh, that again, Q1 2022 saw a huge increase in IP revenues. There was a net loss of 15.6 million or 14 cents per share from a profit of 50 cents per share in the same period last year. Now let's look at the balance sheet. Post this transaction, Quarter Hill should have approximately 30 million in net cash which is expected to be reserved for additional ITS M&A. Our take here, the important item to focus on near term is the 90% sale of the uh, Intel IP business. Given what analysts and original management expectations were when the company originally contemplating sailing, selling its IP or YLAN business, they were looking for 100 to 200 million range. The deal is underwhelming. I just read a report which recently stated that the maximum gross proceeds were ahead of this brokerage firm's recently lowered valuations for Wyland. Uh, I mean, th their valuations a year ago were significantly higher. So saying they're ahead of your incredibly lowered results is, is not a win here. Even this rosy brokerage analysis pointed out that much of the consideration or part of the consideration is contingent on Wyland 
meeting revenue milestones, which creates uncertainty on the collectability. The sale, in theory, makes Quarter Hill a more investable uh, stock and provides additional dry powder to scale the ITS business, but recent ITS performance has not been good. The company's ETC division has had issues. They had seven tolling implementations, which have placed a drag on margins due to revenue misc and cost overruns in most of these projects. As a result, the company is guiding towards this year just break even, even adjusted EBITDA. Uh, the above mentioned products are expected to enter a higher margin operational phase in the second half of this year, 2023, and the first half of 2024, where growth margins are expected to move from 10, 10 to 15% right now to 30 to 40%. As a result, EBITDA margins should increase in the ITS segment from 67 uh, to about 12.5 in that range. Um, now, this is good in theory. In practice, the results most often have not matched the theory historically at Quarter Hill. For us, we have been commenting on this stock for almost a decade now since the stock was in the $5 range. Quarter Hill, for me, at present, is a broken company. The company has been through three to four management changes. The focus of the business has changed under different managing teams with at least three different fundamental growth paths in completely differing businesses over that time, often with misaligned management teams and short-term outlooks. Once again, the company may have some cash on hand to start executing its consolidation within the ITS space, but this space has yet to produce real consistent cash flow. Even if we look at some of the most optimistic estimates for 2024, the company trades at about seven to eight times those numbers on an EV to EB, EBITDA basis. It's not a premium, but the business does not deserve a premium due to the continually underperforming forecasts. Um, so for us, uh, this company is not investable at present. Yeah, just take a pass on it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm, I mean, I went through likes, it there. Nobody likes it troll, out. right? No, no. And, and I mean, they're getting out of that and they could be, we interviewed management, uh, which is not the current management. Once again, about a couple of years ago, the, and we've done this several times because they've had a net cash balance sheet at times that looked attractive. You know, the plan on paper has at times looked attractive. They just haven't been able to execute uh, on implementing or, or acquiring a business in a segment like they're now trying to be in the intelligent transportation system business that has consistent cash flow. They just haven't been able to do that. The uh, patent troll, the Wyland business, um, it produced solid cash flow over time, but very, very lumpy. You'd have these one-time wins. You could have a huge windfall payment from say an Apple, um, which, you know, would juice results in a current quarter. But the market never valued that highly. Many of these patent troll businesses that are dwindling off the market now, there was a time where they were uh, more popular. But now, as the market has seen, you get such lumpy results on a quarterly basis. They just don't get, they're hard to value. They don't get the, uh, the premium valuations. They, don't, they usually get a discounted valuation. So I think it's a good decision to sell this. It's not a massive windfall of cash coming in. It's a decent cash amount that's coming in. But, you know, you, you, the existing business that they bought that they're trying to transition into is not very profitable. There's not a lot of cash flow there. So did you make a right decision even with this business? Um, for us, it's a pass.
at this point. Yeah. And just in, it, for anybody wondering what a patent troll is, so these are companies that essentially purchased bulk quantities, high volumes of technological patents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they find areas where, you know, there can be a legal argument to be made that a company, maybe it's an Apple um, or, or a smaller company, smaller tech company is violating that patent. It's not necessarily litigate, that the company litigate, is yeah. violating the or patent. Or threat it. But just they can make a legal argument and then they can sue that company um, and, you know, hopefully get uh, some type of a negotiated settlement or mm-hmm. else uh, a ruling from the court. Now, it's um, it's just it's a highly litigious, litigious business. It doesn't really produce value and well, it doesn't produce value at all. Um, and as Ryan said, it's very lumpy. And when this first came out, when it first started to be a thing. I want to say like back in 2010, 2011, maybe. Yeah, even pre, um, even pre like this. Yeah, companies 20, would just pay them off 2000. because it was it was cheaper yeah. to give them some money so they would go away as opposed to have to deal with a lawsuit and deal with all the legal fees. Um, but then companies started to realize that this was just encouraging more of this. Uh, so they, you know, they didn't. Now there's strategies to just drag your heels in court. Yeah, they were like, you know, we need to send a message to the patent trolls that we're not going to just be, you know, easy targets mm-hmm. for, for these settlements. And that made the business more difficult. Anyways, it's, uh, it's not been, it's not been a business that's gotten any type of a decent valuation from the markets no. in over a decade. And now this company recycling that some windfall cash flows into some other businesses just not, has not been successful creating consistent cash flow in those businesses. So, um, just a quick addendum to this at one point this business purchased a company that we had recommended at a significant premium about two months after we recommended it was like 50 60 percent higher um again we did the valuation on that and at that point we thought they paid too much for the business we were happy to take the cash at that point because we you know made up 60 percent roughly gain in two months but the management's valuation what they've used that cash those windfall cash uh, flows from on has not produced good, solid producing cash flow in the business, uh, at present. And, uh, you know, if they can do it going forward, maybe it's something we'll revisit, but again, they have an interim CEO right now. They need another CEO, a vision. Will that person be aligned because they're, you know, not immediately going to have shareholdings in the business. So they have to be aligned. We've seen, uh, you know, headhunted, uh, CEOs come into this business and they're not necessarily aligned with shareholders because they're driven maybe by a revenue number rather than a bottom line. So, you know, I, I think it's broken right now until you can see some cash flow in the business. It's just a plan uh, to get there and they haven't got there yet. So until they do, it's something that we continue to stand on the sidelines uh, and not invest in. And you've seen the share price just continue to get whittled away lower and lower and lower over time. So, Brennan, you wanted to look at, you're comparing two primary natural gas producers, Birchcliff Energy and Pinecliff. Correct. Let's let you get to that. The Battle of the Cliffs. Uh, so, yes, uh, we had a question come in um, from Ryan. No, from Ryan via email. Who is Yeah, I sent it in. Uh, no, it please, wasn't you. It wasn't please. you. Um, and yes, he wanted me to review Birchcliff Energy, which is BIR on the TSX. And he said... Uh, It's been trading at a lower price lately with a high dividend yield of about 10%. I understand it is commodity driven. However, oil is not that high right now and the dividend helps while we wait for it to come back up. 
based on conversations on money talks, there is a good case to be long-term bull on oil. What are your thoughts? Okay, so uh, I will answer your question, Ryan. But uh, like I said, I thought that I would have a battle of the cliffs uh, and review Birch Cliff in relation to Pine Cliff Energy or PNE on the TSX, uh, which is another uh, name that I've looked at in the past on the podcast. Uh, so looking at the screen here, uh, if you are watching on YouTube, um, the chart here, uh, I have Pine Cliff in the blue line and Birch Cliff in the orange line. Uh, so realistically, the stocks have been kind of trending together. But first, let's go to Birch Cliff. So Birch Cliff, BIR on the TSX, currently trading at a price of about $7.67, about a $2 billion market cap and a forward dividend yield of about 10.4%. So Birch Cliff is an intermediate oil and nat gas company, which acquires, explores, develops and produces natural gas, which was about 86% of their Q1 2023 production, light oil, which was 3% of production, condensate, which was 7% of, uh, of production, as well as other natural gas liquids, which was about 4% of production. And the company holds interests in the Montney Doig uh, resource play located northwest of Grand Prairie, Alberta. And its asset portfolio also includes various other properties, including the Elmworth and progress areas of Alberta. So moving on and looking at the company's actual financials here for Q1 of 2023, uh, revenue was down about 27%, primarily due to a reduction in energy prices. Adjusted funds flow per share was down 31%, also because of energy prices. EPS was a loss of about 16 cents per share. The company had a 12 trailing month payout ratio of about 25%, net debt of about 205 million, and a net debt to adjusted funds flow multiple of about 0.2 times. Now, moving on to Pinecliff. Uh, Pinecliff is PNE on the TSX, which trades right now at about $1.45 per share, about a $522 million market cap, and a forward dividend yield of about 8.8%. And Pinecliff is engaged in the acquisition, exploration, development, and production of natural gas and oil in the Western Canadian sedimentary basin. And like that of Birchcliff, the company primarily produces natural gas, which it uh, expects to be about 85% of production in uh, 2023. And looking at the company's financials, uh, which were reported on May 2nd of 2023, and this is again for Q1 of 2023, revenue was down 18%, primarily due to a reduction in the price of nat gas. Adjusted funds uh, flow per share and EPS were also down 33% and 80% respectively, again, from that reduction in the price of energy. The company had a 12 trailing month payout ratio of about 36% and a nice healthy balance sheet with net cash of about 58.1 million. And of course, like last time when I uh, compared Pinecliff to Tamarack Valley, uh, again, just for visualization, we can see that both Birchcliff and Pinecliff are highly correlated to the price of nat gas, uh, which is the blue line on the chart here, again, if you're watching uh, on YouTube. So to finally compare uh, the two companies, both are projecting relatively similar, similar growth in production for 2023. But Birchcliff's long-term production projections are appealing if they can be achieved. Now, Birchcliff pays a better dividend yield of about 10.4%, has a lower payout ratio, and a lower valuation multiple. But Pinecliff's balance sheet is superior with a net cash position. But this is not to say that Birchcliff's balance sheet is not healthy, uh, as I would conclude that at this point in time, it is. So to answer the listener's question, 
Yes, I believe that if one is bullish on energy prices, especially nat gas, uh, Birchcliff could be a higher risk option for investors to speculate on energy, all while collecting the dividend. But as Ryan, Keystone's Ryan, has said on the podcast before, uh, that over the past 20 years of his experience, he has seen energy producers cut and reinstate their dividends time and time again, and is why he has taught me that investing for the dividend in an energy producer can be a very risky game. So keep this in mind if you are interested in investing in either of these names, as the dividend is not guaranteed. And of course, there is also no guarantee that the price of energy will increase over the next one to two years. And if energy prices remain depressed or flat, both Birchcliff and Pinecliff's share prices uh, will likely perform poorly and could lead them to cut their dividends uh, that the investor was hoping for. And that's it. That's all. I think it was a pretty quick summary. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. a good yeah, summary. If you look at a, a chart of natural gas prices over the last year, I mean, they've really, mm -hmm. they, they've come down a lot over the last year yeah. um, from their highs in 2022. Totally. Like it's, uh, and, and you know, I've looked at Pine Clip before I've spoken with the CEO. It's, it's within that space. It seems like a very interesting company. Uh, I do like that <clears throat> net cash balance sheet mm -hmm. and it does have a history, even in rough markets of being still cash flow positive. Although the cash flow historically has been very volatile, which you would expect. Right. So right, right now the question is, is, you know, how much cash flow can they really produce, um, at current commodity prices? Yeah, and Aaron was talking about that. Um, if you look back to April 1st of 2022, uh, Nat Gas, like Henry Hub was around 572. So right now you're 268. And following that, uh, April 1st, so this is the next quarter, you're going to have quarter over quarter comparisons. It went up in a straight line basically to at the end of, uh, let's see here. Uh, at the end of June was, you know, in the $9 range or eight eighty five in that range. So um, the next quarter for this company is going to be, I mean, the market should know that, but sometimes they get surprised. It's going to be a very tough comparable where you had significantly higher uh, natural gas prices. So, you know, the both reasonable balance sheets, Pinecliff and net cash positions. So they should, you know, should be able to get through it. And Birchcliff, I think, paid down like 40%, 47% of their debt in the last quarter. I mean, these are good things. Yep. You want these businesses to be doing that. It's just, counting on a dividend is in an energy company is, uh, you know, we would see it just as a bonus because if not, gas prices just tended to stay in the same range or go lower over the next year, you know, it's going to hurt the business. It's just going to hurt them. And and you looked at the way they perform over time. Well, if you knew not gas was going up this year, you know, if it went up 50% this year, these companies are going to do well. If it goes down 30% this year, they're not going to do well. So, you know, again, in the sector, there are worse names, yep. better balance sheets here. Like these are, you know, they have some growth in the portfolio in terms of production, uh, which is nice. It's not huge, but there looks like some growth there and they can continue to explore. Pinecliff can go out there and explore, but um, you know, they're going to do as well as the underlying commodity does. So if you're positive on the commodity, then, you know, this could be a company you look at one of these two. Uh, but if you're not, they're not going to do well over the course of this year, if you're right. Just to give an idea on uh, your dividend safety, during 2020, <laughs> when uh, no one really knew what was going on, the dividend was one cent per quarter cut from three cents previously. And right now they're yeah. paying 20 cents a quarter. So obviously you can see like they, they will cut it if they need to. If they yeah. see energy prices drop, they will, no hesitation, cut it to one cent again. 
Yeah, so it looks like a juicy dividend on paper there, but you know, ten points, only four percent. Uh, but you know, if there is continued depressed uh, not gas prices, the dividend can be cut, and and it happens in many of these visits, even the ones with good balance sheets. Uh, at least they tend to stick around over the long term. But uh, right now, significantly significantly depressed year over year. We don't often buy a company uh, that we expect to have two or three quarters of significantly lower revenues and cash flow. And if not, gas does not pick up in the near term, these companies will have that even if they grow their production. So that's a good summary of those businesses. We're going to end it off. Brett's going to look at Dollar General, DG on the New York Stock Exchange discount retailer. Kind of disappointed with earnings. Maybe their outlook was uh, the real kicker from last week. That is the kicker. So let's get into it. Dollar General, symbol DG on the New York Stock Exchange, is a discount retailer providing various merchandise products across the United States. The company has over 19,000 stores across 47 states, and those are located within five miles of 75% of the U.S. population. The company is currently trading at $164 a share with a market cap of $36 billion and has a dividend yield of 1.44%. However, the stock was recently trading quite a bit higher. Prior to the Q1 earnings, the stock was trading just above $200, which was already depressed uh, throughout the last year. But it fell 18% overnight, a significant drop for a defensive company. That was what you would expect on a tech company having bad earnings. The market reacted negatively to the relatively weak Q1 earnings, but more importantly, to the company really downgrading its guidance for the fiscal year. So a quick rundown on the last quarter, so Q1 2023, net sales increased by 6.8% to $9.3 billion, and that's a 1.6% on same store sales. So that's effectively if they had the same amount of stores because they opened stores throughout the year. Gross profit margin had a slight uptick to 31.63% from 31.29, attributed to just better supply chain. Because last, remember, the year before, we were seeing very uh dangerous uh, supply chains for many of these merchandise companies. Operating profit was effectively flat at $741 million compared to $746 million in the prior year, whereas EPS fell to $234 from $241, part of that being because of higher interest expense. But moving to the more important company outlook, Dollar General just dropped its expectations of sale growth to 3.5% to 5% range from the previous 55 to 6%. Same store sales are now expected to grow at only 1% to 2%, previously 3 to 3.5%. And EPS, a significant drop from now expected to decline by 8% to flat. And that was previously expected to grow from 4 to 6%. So a massive change on our EPS line. As well, the company is no longer planning to repurchase shares in the year to keep its leverage ratio within this three times EBITDA target. So that's EBITDA before rent. Previously, the company expected to repurchase 500 million. Uh, dollars worth of shares in the year. The get downgrades really come off the back of a weak macro environment. The company is seeing weak customer demand compared to what was previously expected. We've looked at things like weakening customer spending, increased customer debt, and this is really uh, the dollar general seeing the acclimation of these macro environments. As well, the company specifically cites lower tax refunds and SNAP payments as specific causes for decreased spending, and those coming in the start of the year, and that's why they're starting to realize that at the end of Q1, so you didn't have it fully realized in this quarter, but then going into Q2, which they talk about, they're seeing weaker sales. Now, shifting to valuation, Dollar General now trades at 16 times of the 
uh, midpoint of the current management fiscal 2023 guidance compared to 18 times at the previous $200 a share before the last quarter. So we saw both an earnings contraction and a multiple contraction when taking into the change of the share price and the expectations change. Dollar General has historically traded a bit of a premium, not a mass premium, but a bit of a premium compared to peers, and it now is closer to in line, but even still at slightly above, depending on exactly what you're considering as peers. So our take, the company has, in theory, a benefit of being a defensive stock, meaning it's resilient to customer downturns. However, in reality, we just haven't seen that. The fundamentals in this case, in this sort of economic and macroeconomic scenario, we're not seeing the textbook defensive stock where they're resilient in their earnings. We're seeing actually the weak customer demand really hit them. They're, and it's still fluctuating. It's still playing out. We're not sure how long this is going to last, of course, and what the degree of fluctuation is. You can see previously, I said, they're expecting to either decline their EPS by 8% to flat. That is a big range for EPS compared to what they were. It was, I think it was 2% before the range. And now we're seeing 8% range, just to give them an idea of they're not really sure what's going to happen throughout the year either. As well, the valuation is now expecting the higher risk compared to previously expected. That's where we're seeing that multiple contraction. And so that multiple expansion, even if the EPS starts to come back up, the market might not even want to value it at that same 18, 20 times we were seeing before. It might stick into the mid-teens. So even that is a risk on the price. Although I don't see the company really appealing at this time, it could be potentially in the future if the stock price continues to be depressed and we see the macro environment vastly improved compared to what it is, as well as the outlook of the macro environment. And then that uh, going down to the uh, company's EPS growth as well as sales growth. So hold off for now, I would say, but it could be potentially worthwhile another look in the future yeah the uh, the dollar stores generally have typically in a recession held up better so they are you know areas to look for to kind of uh kind of invest in during those periods of time so if we could you know get it at a you know a reasonable price then you know it, it could be an interesting now there's a number of different players in this segment so we we'll have to analyze all of them against each other do the comparables but that's yeah, a good summary of that company do we have any final comments on uh, anything, on dollar stores. Life. I was just life in general. Say that uh, Brandon. Well, how was the bear? You saw yeah, a bear. I saw this a bear. Weekend. So I'm just going to, uh, to tell a quick story. <laughs> I, uh, I should have said it. I heard okay. Brandon wrestled the bear. No, no, yes. I did not wrestle a bear. But actually, I saw a couple bears. So the one, the first was we were in the vehicle, and the second we were actually on the golf course at Waskasu, or otherwise known as Prince Albert National Park. Um, so we had just finished golfing the eighth hole and came around the back of the eighth hole and the cart lady was there. So we grabbed a couple drinks from her and she asked us, she was like, have you guys seen the bear? We're just trying to keep a track of uh, where the bear is on the course. And we were like, no, we haven't. And all of a sudden, Chad, one of my friends points over and there's this bear and it's cub walking towards us. Um, and we were maybe 20 yards away, maybe even a little bit closer, maybe like 15 yards away. And I'm, I'm not driving the golf court cart at the time. So I tell my friend Ryland, I'm like, turn this thing around. Let's get out of here. You know, so we turn around um, and the bear just keeps walking our way. Um, but anyways, that was, oh, it was walking, it, it was walking towards us. And the thing about like with actually, his cub, right? With his with cub. You in its sight. With, oh yeah. It, it knew that we were there. But the thing about the Prince Albert National Park is, you know, the deer are super friendly. The elk are super friendly. All of the animals are so used to humans. So you the bear shake your hand. This bear was used to humans, but it's still like bear 
I don't want to have anything to do yeah. with you and your baby. So, uh, yeah, it was not uh, a mama bear. quite eventful. Not any bear. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. mama bear. Uh, um, Brennan, was that yeah. just an elaborate metaphor of an impending bear market? Is that what you were getting no, at? No, no, They're no, coming yeah. toward you, you running away? I saw Is that what's going on it, here? It, on the it was the Fortinet bear. It was the Fortinet bear. No, Fortinet has not. It was the Fortinet tournament. Yeah, so I'm also going to say, so that was when I played at Waska Sioux Golf Course. Um, But then as well, we ended up playing at Elk Ridge. Um, Which one was the bear on? Waska Sioux. Yeah, Waska Sioux. Uh, But then we ended up playing Elk Ridge as well. And I'll get Brett to pop up the image. But I thought it was cool because I basically played the exact same uh, 18 holes that the Fortinet Cup, which the Canadian PGA is going to be playing at from, I think, June 19th. So the tournament starts today until June 25th. Um, so I'll get you to pop that image up just of uh, the the Fortinet Cup image there. And uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a fun uh, fun trip. So we can confirm there was no bear on the Fortinet no, course. No bear at the Fortinet course, no. Exactly, good. Well, since it's right. up like 50% or 25%, sorry, year to date, or it might be even 50%, I'm not, I think it's mm-hmm. in that range. Uh, there's no bear there. Yeah, yeah, no bear yeah, there. Yeah. That is true. No bear there. Yep. No bear market. Nope. Good. No. Anyways. But bear, Brennan was all, honestly the picture you had, if you put it up, that I saw, you were close. Yeah, like, well, that, it, was, that, was a close, that was the different bear. That was the bear that we like saw just on Grizzly the road. Adams. Um, so I saw multiple bear uh, on the weekend, but or bears. I don't know if it's plural. It's too many bears for us to take. take uh, to, to get to. <laughs> to track, I man. Know. I don't even know what you're talking I about. We're bearing with you. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, bear this in mind. Brennan is um, uh, a wilderness guy, so he, uh, I don't, I don't know, know what that, that means. I got nothing. See you later. Yeah. Uh, let's um, close off the show. I'd like to say keep smashing that subscribe button if you're watching this on uh, YouTube. If you're listening to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes. Send your questions in for your stock art take segments. And we'll keep producing this content on a weekly basis. Again, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.